Welcome, welcome everyone to the Ginger London Ministry Show here on Blog Talk Radio. I am so excited about this afternoon. As you know, we are doing a series to um, in celebrating uh, Women's History Month. And so I'm excited because we have a very, very, very special guest on today. And um, I'm just very excited about it. And so we're going to get started. With the show, we're going to open up with prayer, and then we're going to get right into it. I'm going to introduce you to the guests that we have, and then I am going to um, uh, we're going to let her talk and share her um, her story with us, and then we're going to also come back. Also on today, we're going to be talking about in the show women in ministry, and we're going to do a special teaching on their struggles and their challenges, and we're going to encourage those of you who feel called of God to ministry, what you need to be doing at this time in your life and in this season. Also, we're going to talk to you about how to answer the call and how to prepare and what great leadership looks like in women who are in leadership, how to be authentic, and um, how to just walk into the calling that God has called you and be yourself and follow his direction and his leading. Amen? Amen. And so let's open up with prayer, and then we're going to get right into this show. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you on this afternoon. We honor you, Lord God. We bless you. Father God, I decrease as the Holy Spirit increases. I lift up Apostle Valerie to you. I pray that every word that we speak out of our mouths would be on assignment for this afternoon, that every ear that hears um, this live show, Lord God, and those who will listen to the, the replay, Father God, everyone that has an ear to hear what you are saying to your body on today, and especially Especially to the women during this season in their lives, I pray, Lord God, that they will hear everything that you have for them. Now, Father God, I pray, dear God, that this will be a powerful moment of testimony as the woman of God shares her story with us. We pray for everyone who finds themselves in similar situations will be uh, empowered with the spiritual confidence and courage to be overcomers and victor to live in a life to live a life of victory, Lord God, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this opportunity. We bless your name, O oh God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, welcome to the show. And we're going to get right into it. I'm going to tell you a little bit about our special guest um, on today. She um, is Apostle Valerie Isaiah, and she is the Chief Apostle and Presiding Bishop of Christ Church International in St. Louis, Missouri. She is a national speaker. She's a prophetess. She's an evangelist. Um, she shares the vision of ministry with her husband, Apostle Cornell Isaiah, um, and they travel the world together, winning souls by the loads for the kingdom of God. Um, she was ordained as an apostle in 2007 and as a bishop in 2009 along with her husband. Um, I'm really excited about her. She um, has been featured in numerous uh, magazines and newspapers. She's also the author of Where Was God? And in that book, she tells her story about um, being not just a survivor, but being healed. And um, she's going to share her testimony with us on this afternoon. So I'm excited, and I want you guys to welcome with me to the show Apostle Valerie Isaiah 
welcome to the show, Apostle Valerie. Thank you, thank you, great woman of God. I'm just so excited about what God is doing in this season. I thank you for this great opportunity to share with God's people, with God's mighty, powerful, anointed women of God, what God has done in my life. Amen, amen. I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, I got excited just talking to you by phone, you know, and so I'm really excited now because it's about to happen. We're about to see a great move of God um, on this show. And so I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself and, and then share your testimony with us. I am, as you said, the Chief Apostle and Senior Pastor of Christ Church International Growing Grace Ministry, which was founded in 2006 along with my husband, Apostle Connell Isaiah, and our Senior Pastors, Pastor Royce Mason and Pastor Latoya Mason. We're a five-fold ministry that operates in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We, we love the Lord. We love worshiping Him. That's one of our mantras that we teach the body of Christ that in order to receive from God, you have to be a true worshiper of God. And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, his word said in verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. As I began to think back over my life and think about my testimony, I began to reflect on the fact that I'm not just a survivor, that I am healed. I'm uh, a survivor and healed from sexual abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse, neglect. My mother and my father were married, was born in East St. Louis, Illinois, and my mother started having children so fast that my father told her to quit her job and to take care of her children. But my mother just wasn't equipped to be a mother. So I was my mother and father's first child together. But she had had three sons before me, and after I was born, later came three boys. And my mother, I believe she really suffered from bipolar, and she probably had um, schizophrenia because I just remember times that it just didn't seem like she was all there. But as a result of being raised by this mother with um, a lot of verbal abuse, being cursed out on a daily basis, my mother and father ended up opening up a tavern business, and they later opened up another tavern business. So they left the children at home to take care of themselves. My oldest sibling at the time that was home was 16, and he had to take care of his younger siblings. And on a daily basis, I began to be sexually abused from the age of 4 to 11. I believe the fondling probably started when I was probably about 2 years old. And it started, one of my brothers saw me in the back of a neighbor's house with two of my young friends. We were about 5 years old, and he started in at that point, but the other brother had been molesting me, but he ended up threatening me for being back there because the little boy had showed us his little private parts and stuff, and he held that over my head until the age of 13. But as a little girl, I remember when I was about six years old, my mother and father were heavy drinkers, and as I stated, they owned a tavern, and they would come home late, pretty late every night. But this particular night, one of my uh, siblings was molesting me, and I was in my parents' 
bedroom, and he heard them coming, so he ran back to our room. We were just in a two-bedroom home, and my mother came in, and she saw me laying at the edge of that bed, and she began to, she grabbed my father's belt, and she began to just beat me profusely and beat me over and over. But I also remember my mother, she used to tell me all the time, she said, if somebody messes with you, tell me. If somebody messes with you, tell me. But as a four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and even eleven year old girl, when do you really understand what it means if someone messes with you? Mm-hmm. So I really didn't understand what my mother was saying to me. My parents, when I became nine years old, they ended up buying the second tavern business. They they moved to a new city in Venice, Illinois, called the Robin's Nest. And they left, really left us. Maybe we would see them every couple of weeks or so, and especially in the summertime we really didn't see them because they didn't feel they had a need to come home. So the abuse three, four times a day, and even to the point to get to go outside to play, I had to make sure they had what they needed. And as a result, it just made a cloud of depression fall over me and... One of my cousins, I have a cousin's wife who's a part of my ministry, she said to me that she would often, when she would come over with her husband, she would just look at me and she would just see that emptiness in my eyes. And she just often wondered what was going on in my life that caused such emptiness. But I thank God for Jesus (laughs) that in spite of it all, he has just resurrected my life. I went on to look for love in all the wrong places. Uh, I got baptized at the age of 13, and my mother and father refused to come to my baptism because they didn't like my pastor, didn't like the ministry that I was involved in, and it, it just it was devastating for them not to come. And I started reaching out, and a friend of my mother's, I told her, that I had been sexually abused because my young older sibling, the one right over me, he's deceased. He got out of prison and came to our home, and he hid my mother and father's keys, and he stole their car. But before he left, he tried to rape me again. But I knew at that point at the age of 13 that I could get pregnant, and I ended up telling him that I didn't care if he told my mother or my father what had happened when I was five years old, that he was not going to touch me again and that I was going to leave my father a detailed letter about everything that they had did for me, and I was planning my suicide. And I I guess I spoke with him with such adamant words that he backed off and he just ended up taking off in the car and left. And... I ended up telling one of my mother's dear friends about the abuse, and she told my mother. My mother went to my brothers, and she spoke with them, and, of course, they lied and said that I was lying. And she came back to me, and she pulled out her 357 Magnum with a long barrel, and she put it to my head, literally touched my head with her gun, and she told me that if I ever told it again that she was going to blow my brains out. At that moment, I had 
I had a fantasy going on that when my mother found out that I had been sexually abused, that she was going to come to me, she was going to hug me, she was going to kiss me, she was going to tell me how sorry she was that such a traumatic situation had gone on in my life, but instead I received the wrath of my mother. And as time went on, I developed relationships, but I never trusted anybody. And I always had these feelings of, of su- committing suicide. And my mother used to have uh, books in her bathroom, sexually explicit books. And I remember reading them and remember praying and begging God because all of those sexual feelings, I had been away from it for a couple of years, but it just came massively down on me. And I kept feeling like, well, maybe something's wrong with me. And the devil mm-hmm. was attacking my mind in all kind of directions at the age of 13 years old. And at the time, I was in the Baptist church, and I didn't know that you could turn to anybody. I didn't know that you could talk to someone about what you're going through. But one of the ladies, that young girls that led me to the church, she uh, stayed all night one night, and she and I began to talk, and she began to tell me about some things that had happened to in her life that was similar to some things that happened in my life. And we just kind of made a pact that we weren't going to talk to, you know, the other girls that we were connected with. And so that was a help for me to know that someone else had gone through it. Time progressed, and I my parents had put us in private school because they didn't trust the local school. So ended up going to high school in Alton, Illinois, and, was around a lot of rich white kids and had to um, just learn to adjust to a new way of life. I remember uh, one of my classmates telling me that she was going to get off the phone and she was going to go and iron her clothes and she was going to go take a bath. I suffered such abuse that we didn't even understand that you're supposed to take baths, you're supposed to iron your clothes and things like that. And God began to teach me through these girls how to live. And I only had one blouse that I could wear outside of my Catholic school uniform. And if I didn't keep pulling it down, you could see my stomach area exposed. And I began to really just pray. In church, I started learning more about God, so I did learn about the power of prayer. And my father worked for General Motors for years, and he ended up getting laid off for a season, but he was a gambler, and he um, owned his tavern. And so I remember going to him and telling him that the other girls had clothes, and he began to ask me, well, what do you need? So I told him. So instantly he went out, he gambled, he brought home $500, he put it in my hand, and he told me to go get whatever I need. So at that moment, it was kind of like a jump-in status to have nothing to go to Gloria Van- Vanderbilt jeans. And, you know, back then, $500 was about a lot of nice things. So it was uh, it did a lot for my self-esteem. In high school, I um, was close with four, three other girls that went to high school with us. And two years later, one of them left. But I had um, met this guy. All of us were friends with the Venice Basketball High School team. We were friends. We were dating one of the uh, starters. And so the one that I was dating, 
I uh, he kept trying to get real serious with me, but after you know all the abuse and everything that I had gone through, I was just really cautious, and I hadn't, outside of the sexual abuse, been intimate with anybody, and I was just wanting to wait and just wanting to hold that. But one day, um, another friend of mine that we commuted with, we picked up her boyfriend, and we went to pick up my boyfriend, and after we rode around for a little bit because I had gotten my license, she said, drop us off in the next town over where she lives. So we dropped them off, and I was dropping him off, and he said, let's stop by my grandmother's house. We stopped by the grandmother's house. He took me to the back to a house behind a house, and he locked the door and threw me on the bed and raped me, and I left there bloody. I left there uh, ashamed, embarrassed. He threatened me because his father worked for the sheriff's department, and I left there just feeling so broken and just feeling paralyzed with fear. And I thought, well, maybe I should tell my parents, but my mother didn't believe me before, Mm -hmm. so why should I tell her now? And also he told me that his father worked for the sheriff's department, and they wouldn't believe me anyway. So I kept all that to myself. But I began to tell my friends about what I had gone through, and my friends, the one in particular that was my best friend, she ended up saying, well, I don't know about all of that, and I really don't want to hear about all of that because you break, you're breaking up the clique because it was five of us that were friends dating the basketball team that was friends. So she said, you're just breaking up everything. So I, more so than the rape, the way that my friends rejected me, it just put a, just a dark cloud over me, and I began to just kind of withdraw. And at that point, since he had took what I had, prided myself in holding on to, I became uh, a serial monogamy. It was never just me just sleeping with people. It was just, you know, if I was in a relationship with you and I was in a relationship with you. But when I was about 20 years old, one of my mother's friends who had, uh, her daughter had had a child out of wedlock when she was 15 years old but I used to go stay all night with her and she would take me to the club and the nightclub and we would hang Mm -hmm. out and stuff and she said to me she said she wanted to know who was I dating at that time and so I began to tell her who it was and about the relationship and she said you know I'm kind of wondering about you she said because you kind of changed these men like you changed your underwear and it it did something to me it kind of made me you know, just kind of stop and just kind of think about myself. And then I began to think, well, I'm not real, I'm not sleeping with all these men just because I'm, I'm dating mm-hmm. different ones. But what she said began to plant a seed that maybe I should rethink some things. Graduated, later on went to college, graduated from college with my bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Um, several years later, got married when I was 23 years old to a 49-year-old drug addict, cocaine, alcoholic who beat, try, tried to beat me basically to death. I had to run, literally run for my life. Wow. Wouldn't have married him, but my I moved in with him. He was a friend of my mother's that came to her boy. He said, if you, my mother and my brother, one of the ones that abused me, said, if you're going to be with him, you need to marry him. I would, had no intentions of marrying him. I just wanted some red lobster to be able to go go out and hang out and just have a good time, 23 years old, footloose, fancy free, but they said I had to marry him. So I married him, 
and began drinking more heavily with him, trying to fit in with the lifestyle that we had. The marriage lasted. We got married April 27th, December the 1st. Divorce was filed December the 19th. We were divorced. Left left that relationship, ended up moving out on my own. A boyfriend of mine, ex-boyfriend that I had called to let him know I was on my own. He came up to my house, forced himself on me as a result. I got pregnant with my oldest child, thought about having an abortion, and didn't know at the time that it was his baby because I was involved with a married man and just living um, just a lifestyle, just looking for love in all the wrong places. But as a result, I called my mother and I asked her was she sitting down because by that time I was 24 and told her that I had something to tell her, told her that I was pregnant, and she said about time because the doctors had told me that after all of the abuse, everything I had been through, that I would never have a child. I would never get get pregnant. I would never give birth to a child. So on one hand, I was happy and excited about this pregnancy that mm-hmm. I had defied the odds. But on the other hand, I'm looking at the fact, you know, here I am, a single mother, getting ready to raise a child. And in a relationship with a married man, a couple of years later, he and I were going to move in together and found did a blood test, found out it wasn't his child, and the embarrassment of all of that. I wore, literally went into mourning. I wore black to work at my job as a substance abuse counselor for like a week. And my mother, of all people, told me that I had to snap out of it, that it was time for me to move on, and I wasn't the first person that went through that, and I'm not going to be the last. So that did encourage me, and I moved forward from that, and a couple of years later met a man in the military. Wasn't really trying to be in a serious relationship with him, but after the relationship ended with the married man, I ended up moving out of town where he was, and his mother said if we're going to live together that we need to be married. His mother was living in Texas, and, truly, you know, I was 27 and he was 37, so we were old enough to make our own decisions. But at the time, I didn't realize I was pregnant with my daughter. So we did get married. Marriage only lasted a couple of years. It lasted six years, but two years into the marriage, I felt like he basically tried to take my life. So I ended up leaving Virginia headed back to St. Louis, didn't know where I was going, kept calling all of my family members. So finally I found one of my brothers, my oldest brother. He took he took me in. I stayed there for 10 days. I got a job as a waitress at Red Lobster. By that time I um, had started working on my master's degree, but I ended up having to stop. So I got back in school, got my master's degree in Missouri, and continue to just go forth, and I ended up finally getting a divorce from him, and a couple of years later, I got involved with this man who I thought was just my everything. I worked with him. He was such a good guy, but the problem was he was married, and I was in the process of my divorce. Long story short, he finally, we ran into each other, like a year later, he was divorced, I was divorced, got in this relationship. He was very wealthy, and I felt like this was he was going to take care of me, and it was the exact opposite. All of this money that he had from the business he had, he wanted me to take care of him and come and want to lay up at my house. And I was sneaking him into my house because 
I was one of those people that my children didn't have to be involved in my drama, in my mess. So I ended up, didn't tell any of my family, any of my friends about this relationship because I was tired of sharing with everybody about these relationships that I'm in and then nothing pans out. All along, I was in church, in and out of church, mm-hmm. in and out of church. When I was mm-hmm. in, I was in. And when I was out, you know, I may stay out for three months, I may stay out for a month, and then I'll go back repenting and crying and begging God to forgive me. And then I'm, I'll get in another situation, I'm back out of church again, and then I'm back in church. But on January the 14th, 2001, he called me and said he had to go to his work site and that he would see me at 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock came, I started calling his phone, never did reach him, began crying. The next day was Martin Luther King's birthday, January 15, 2001. I called one of my friends, my best friend, and I told her what I had been through and was going through in this relationship, how he was treating me. And I told her, I said, I got something to tell you. I did not want to tell you about the relationship because I didn't want him, I, I didn't want you to know because I was telling her that I was back in church, and she was back in church, and we were mm-hmm. supposed to be doing so well. And she told me, Val, I don't know why you're worrying about what I think. God sees everything that you do. And it was like a light bulb moment. I left off that phone. I went to my bedroom. I shut the door, and I cried, and I cried, and I cried. And I began to beg God. I began to plead with God to have mercy on my soul. I asked God. I begged God to save me. I know you don't have to beg God to save you, but I was desperate. I felt like the devil had attacked my mind. I felt like the enemy was taking my life. I felt like he was just choking the life out of me. And I told God I didn't want to live like that any longer, that I wanted to be saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled. I went back to the age of 13. Those girls that I told you was my friends, they were in church and they wore nice pretty clothes and they had long pretty hair and long ponytails. And I told God, I said, Lord, I want to wear the nice pretty clothes and I want my hair to be pretty and I want to go to church every Sunday and I want to serve you and I want to be righteous and I want to live holy. I cannot tell you when the tears stop. I cannot tell you, but the flashbacks of men raping me because I got raped on a Friday night at the age of 30 and on a Saturday night at the age of 30 by that married man who I was no longer in a relationship in came and raped me. And the next day my son's father came and raped me. And people said, you're a 30-year-old woman. How can someone rape you like that? But when you've been a victim of abuse, mm-hmm. when all of your life you've been either raped or molested or dealt with incest, Men that have those demonic minds, it's like they can they can see who you are. They can prey on you. And I remember that next day, that Sunday, I had gone to work, and I told a couple of my coworkers what I went through. And But before I had left for work, I had been crying, and I was beating the air. And I remember talking to God. I told God, God, I know you real. God, I know that you are God Almighty. If another man touches me that I'm not married to, God, I'm going to kill him. I'm told, God, you have to provide for my kids because I'm going to take his life. And God never allowed it to happen. And three years later, I got saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled. I got in church. I got on fire for God, and I got homeless after that. Wow. Wow. 
I mean, just so much, you know, what a powerful, awesome testimony. But just to hear what you've gone through, you know, I'm 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 listening to you and I'm you know, all of it is all of it has nuggets in it. But there was one thing that you uh, several things that you said, um and I wanted to bring back um to the forefront. You said when a lot of this was going on you were a substance abuse counselor. Did I hear that right? Yes. I was a substance abuse counselor, and I reflect back on it from time to time. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to tell them what they need to do and how they need to live their life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, to instructing women, oftentimes with men, but it was so powerful with the instructing the men because God had always given me a gift of discernment, and he had mm-hmm. given me just a heart where people have always reached out to me. People have always just shared their deep, intimate secrets. Men would begin to tell me, Miss Valerie, I don't know why I'm going to tell you this, but my mother's boyfriend molested me when I was seven years old, or my uncle Johnny did this to me, or this person did that to me. With tears running down their faces, I was able to really connect with them and really tell them that it wasn't their fault that they were just a victim of that sexual abuse and that they, too, could overcome. But at the time, I was still broken, but I was counseling them and encouraging them. Right, and and I brought that uh, to the forefront for those who are listening to the show to say it really doesn't matter what your profession is when the enemy attacks your life. It really doesn't matter what your profession is or if something happened to you when you were younger and now you're an adult. You know, it's not even about what profession you're in. It's about getting healed because the gifts and callings are without repentance. And so if God purposed for you to be a counselor and uh, if that was this, if that is the assignment for your life, even though you may have gone through some horrific things as a, as a child, as a young girl, or even if we have some men listening as a young boy, it doesn't change your destiny. It alters the course a little bit, but it doesn't change the destiny. You know, a lot of times we hear um, uh, 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 people uh, thinking that, be, that it's because maybe something happened to them that they can't do such and such. And, you know, or um, uh, I'm, as you said, you know, I'm broken and I'm still ministering to I'm still, you know, counseling them. You know, um, what goes on in our personal life usually can be separated from our professional lives, you know, because you have men who um, who are abusers and they can go and be judges on a bench and go and, you know, and 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 make a good call based on the law, but then get home and disrespect their wives and, right. and, and beat their wives. And so sometimes, you know, you have a way of separating that professional from that personal life. And it can spill over at times. But um, also another thing you said was that. Um, uh, or what I recognize in your testimony is that, you know, as you got older, that pain followed you, and it caused you to uh, make some poor choices. Yes. In life, you know, and so it even all the way up to the age of thirty, still making poor choices, and the enemy continued to uh, attack your life in that same in fashion. In the same way. In same the same way. way. Mm-hmm. In the in the same way. So you know, you sometimes I don't know. Apostle Valerie, if you've heard people say it uh, sometimes in ministry as well, sometimes um, just in general, not necessarily ministry, but just in general as um, uh, people could be talking in conversations, as somebody said to you, you know, you're 30, how can you get right, you know? Well, we we had gone out to lunch, 
And, well, we were all servers at Red Lobster, and we <laughs> went to um, another restaurant. We sitting around Casa Gallardo, we just talking, and and I began to tell them what I had uh, endured, and they all looked at me, and they were like, "You a thirty year old woman? What, how can something like that happen?" He came. One of them unscrewed the light bulb. Three in the morning, came to my apartment, drunk, knocked on the door. Who is it? Uh, it's me. I came to see my son. It really wasn't his son because the blood test had already come back. Let him in. He's drunk. And I said, well, I got to get up in the morning. Uh, well, I'm too drunk to drive home. So you sleep on that side. I'll sleep over here. Why I said that? But I had this nice new furniture. I had bought at Dillard's, and I didn't want nobody on my furniture. So he could sleep over there in the middle of the night. Next thing I know, the rest was history. I, at the moment, I thought about grabbing the phone. I thought about calling, but my two small children were in the next room. And my mother had, when before she died, I had told her. She and I had kind of had an argument about the fact that she knew that I had been abused and that she didn't do anything for me. And that day she saw me on the bed naked. She knew it was because somebody had been molesting me, but she beat me like that. And my mother cursed me out, and she told me all it was was sex. Of course, wow. she used those words. Mm-hmm. So with that, it just made me devalue myself because my own mother didn't put a value on me. So what value did I really have on myself at the time? Right. So I had to chalk it up. Okay, I'm I'm going to look at it like that. And I had majored in criminal justice, and I had had law and order classes and all kind of stuff, and I knew how they put the victim on the witness stand and turn, turn the tables on the victim. So all of this stuff went through my head that they're going to look at me. I'm old enough to have known better not to open the door. But this is a person that I, at one point in my life, I had thought he was going to leave his wife and marry me. And then the next night, the other, uh, my son's father, he his grandmother had died. And he came to about 2 in the morning, same thing, knocked on the door. Uh, I want to see my son. And I'm like, so I let him in, same thing, I got to go to work tomorrow. You can sleep over there because by this time he's drunk and stuff like that. And, well, I mean, he was drunk when he came. And mm-hmm. so I told him, you know, next same thing he had did before when I got pregnant with my son, same situation. And in my head, I'm sitting there like, how am I going through this again? And I, mean, I was so devastated. I was so broken. All I could do is like I couldn't even fight. I didn't have a fight in me. And someone asked me, well, how come you couldn't have fight? I would have picked up something. I'm like, when all of your life this has happened to you and this is all that you know, I did not have a fight in me. That's why I beg God the next day not to ever allow anybody else to touch me because I knew that I I would I I did I wasn't gonna be responsible for my actions. Right, right. Because when you are when a person is an abu- is abused like that, at some point if they are uh feeling all alone, feel like no one is there to help them that of that hurt, that pain then begins to turn into anger. 
and then the enemy starts getting into a person's mind and they start thinking just what you think. If another person touched me, if another person abused me, I can't be responsible for my action because murder then gets on the mind. You know, right. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to stab him. I'm going to do whatever. You know, I'm going to protect myself. Nobody's helping me. I'll help myself. You know, and it's just so the enemy is attacking a, a, a person's life and at the same time messing with their mind. Right. So you're being violated, and then he torments your mind to the place that if you would have done something to someone, then you would have been the one in trouble. That would have, exactly. In trouble. It's the same and thing. And then my children, with, two children, right. left without a mother, and then mm-hmm. left with all of these questions and just wondering why my mother, why me, right, right. And then the cycle of abuse, just like mm-hmm. I was abandoned, then turn around for my children, they would go through the cycle of abuse of being abandoned. Right, and absolutely. even with um, my children, they um, I thank God that they're they're healthy. I have a, a 19 year old; he's healthy and strong. And my daughter is 16, and I have a seven year old with my um, husband. And but it's just a wonder that they're they're so full of joy. They're so my children are so full of laughter because. Even when I was going through my drama, I, I did my best to take them to the zoo, to take them to mm-hmm. the art museum, to try to make their life better than my life. But when I, I think it was after, it was just several points in my life where I, I got, I went through like a funk in the depression, and uh, my son told me. Mom, I got so tired of eating White Castles. I got so tired of eating McDonald's. I got so tired of, you know, because he was mm-hmm. used to his mom cooking and him having a hot meal. But when mom was, was in a bad funk and mom was in a bad depression, mom wasn't in any shape to do those things. But I wasn't looking at it that I was being a bad mother because I'm looking at it like how many mothers, because financially I was okay. I was looking at how many mothers can take their children to McDonald's or White Castles or get them pizza every day. I'm thinking, well, I'm doing okay, but I wasn't doing okay. I was suffering, and I I was suffering in silence. I wasn't, at times, I wasn't really talking to anybody because who do you really tell that you've been that kind of victim all of your life? Who do you tell that you walk through life. I would drive across the Martin Luther King Bridge as a counselor, making good money, had my master's degree, was everybody. My One of my coworkers said, when I finally kind of shared with her things I had been through, she said, Val, I had no idea. She said, you encouraged everybody. You kept everybody together. You kept everybody on the course. You helped those clients. You fought for them when when the directors wanted to give up on them. You did all of that. She said, I had no idea. She said, you were always laughing. You were always smiling. She said, you seem like the person that had it together more than anybody. And I told her that I literally drive across the Martin Luther King Bridge in St. Louis, Missouri, plotting which day am I going to finally drive my car off of it. And I finally decided, well, I don't want to go without my kids, so I'm going to make it one day when it's my children and not with me. But my mother used to always say, 
that motherless children have such a hard time. Her mother had died when she was two years old. Her father died when she was 12. She had to sleep in abandoned houses and up under porches, and she would tell me all the time that motherless children have such a hard time. And her father had literally taken her bottom and set it on top of a stove and cooked her bottom. And she said that for four months she had to lay on her belly and had to lie to the doctors about what had happened to her. Wow. And just the thought of what my mother had to go through without a, without a parent, without a mother, without a father, it just made me hold on a little bit more. It made mm-hmm. me hold on a little bit more. And the thought of, and then I thought about if I'd have hit that water and didn't die, then what? So it just, it was the God, but it was God. It was God all the time. It was the grace and it was the mercy of God. Oh, wow. You know, just hearing you tell that little that little snippet about your mom, you can now, and you probably have done this, gone back into your mom's background to see that it was a continuous cycle. Well, I worked at this job as a counselor, My la- the last job that I had before God told me to uh, leave and start our ministry, and there was this prophet there. And I, I was had been in ministry a little bit, and I knew about prophecy, and I had just accepted my calling to preach in 2003, but I just wasn't sure. And then I was still the type of person had trust issues, was saved, and still had was guarded. Had trust issues, didn't know what you really wanted from me. What's your agenda? And she, we were sitting in a computer lab, and she began to tell me. She began to say, "You know, your mother was abused, sexually abused by her father." And she said, "And God told me to tell you that your mother." sexually abused your older brother and your older brother sexually abused you and then the younger brother saw him abusing you and he started abusing you and when she told me that I looked at her and I just kind of looked at her and I kind of tried to put it out of my head but I called my mother's sister and I asked her and she said, no, baby, we lived in a shotgun house, and I was older than your mom. If something had happened to her, I would have known. But then I began to think back. We only had a two-bedroom house. Why didn't my mother or my father know? And it was going on right up under their nose. Sometimes they would take me in the bathroom on the floor. Sometimes um, just on the floor, All of this, uh, me and my brothers all in one bedroom but you could throw a blanket on top and do whatever you think you want to do. And I wasn't going to say anything because that was my life. That was what I had to endure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's just an amazing story. And what I mean by that is like to hear, you know, we hear about abuses, all the different types of abuse all the time. And rarely do we hear people give their testimony with the specifics. You know, and I believe that's what helps the Word of God says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the Word of our testimony. There's somebody that's listening that's going through something just like you went through, and just to be able to hear that someone else was victorious over that, they can they can have the confidence they need, even if it's just mustard seed faith confidence. 
to believe that God can bring them out and heal them from those types of abuse, that they can get away from the person that's abusing them, or that they can go and tell somebody, if you keep telling and keep telling and keep telling, at some point somebody is going to believe you. Well, the two two men when I was 30, the next morning when I told each of them what they did, they, they said I was lying, that that couldn't have happened that it couldn't have happened like that, that I wanted it, that I liked it. It's like, mm-hmm. what part of that could I like? Right, absolutely. But, you know, and I'm sure, you know, as a counselor, the one who's actually doing the perpetrating, they have a way of this mind game that they play, you know. And uh, I've had women who have been in domestic violence situations, and when they come in for counseling, this is after the the husband or the boyfriend, whoever the male person is, has actually physically beaten them. I mean, you could see the bruises and everything. Get up mm-hmm. the next morning and say, I didn't hit you. Right, exactly. You threw yourself against that wall. I didn't touch you. Right. Messing with her mind and have her just totally confused. She knows that she was beaten. But that same person, when she says, this is what you did to me, why do you keep doing this? He comes right behind her. I didn't touch you. Exactly. And so she's already tormented. Now she's even more tormented because I'm, I'm, you're the same person that did this, and now you're telling me you didn't do this. Or exactly. I must have wanted you. Or, well, if you hadn't said whatever, then I wouldn't have done that, you know. All those kind of crazy kind of things that they say. Mm-hmm. Um, on your journey for healing, did you ever have some struggles in trusting God? I um, I remember I just started the ministry in 2006, and, you know, I'm I'm on fire for God. I'm telling everybody about how good God, God is. Um, I had a following and um, one of my little nieces, my sister-in-law's raising um, her two nieces, and we were headed to my hometown to pick the little, the oldest of the two little girls up because their mother's doing time in prison. So, but the mom was still had her at the time, but she had uh, blistered her hand on an iron, and we had to go get her. And when we saw the condition of her hand, we just, oh, it was so devastating. So we ended up um, putting blessed oil on, and they were saying she was going to have to have surgery. I finally got her to the hospital and all that. God worked it all out. Her hand is perfect to this day. No surgery, Amen. none of that. But driving there, I rolled past the apartments that my one of my, my best friends when I was uh, in middle school lived. And I began to tell my sister-in-law, at, I began to tell her about, just what I had um, been through, some of the things I had gone through as a teenager and, you know, and was showing her these, my old stomping grounds, and this is where I'm from. And when I got home that night, God said to me, because I'm telling her everything that they, quote, unquote, had did to me. And when I got home, God said, I need you to come before me. So he told me, come to your secret place. So I went to my secret place. All the lights were out. Everybody was in bed with me. And I sat there, and God said, you keep telling me about what everybody did to you. But you gossiped with them. You were on the phone with this one, talking about that one. You did your part to facilitate that as well. And God said, I need you to repent before me. He said, I'm going to put everybody that you hurt name in 
your spirit. And I need you to speak it out in the atmosphere. And I need you to tell me in your repentance everything that you did to them. And then I need you to tell me that you forgive them. And I began to sit there feeling like, well, God, why are you picking on me? Feeling like the victim. Mm-hmm. But God was right. He was right. Regardless of what they did, I had to own my part. And I sat there crying for hours. And he began to show me these people. And I began to talk to God about what I had did. And then I began to tell God that I forgive them. After that, I called a friend of mine, the the friend whose apartment building I passed, and I told her that I had to forgive her, but that I had held that for years in my heart that she rejected me after I had gotten raped. And she told me, I don't even know what you're talking about. She said, I just don't even remember it. And I began to sit there. I'm thinking about all of this stuff, all of these years, and she don't even remember it. Wow. So that was that morning. So she said to me, because she's in ministry too, she said, because you said I did it, I must have did it, and I'm sorry. And it kind of broke a yoke inside of me. So that very day, I went to my hometown, and they were opening up the restaurant that had burnt down. And it was like, everybody loved this Chinese restaurant. And so the line was long. I'm in the line. The one that had raped me when I was 16 years old came in the restaurant, but I thought he was one of my other friends' ex-boyfriend. And so I called the name, and he said, oh, he wished he looked as good as me. But when he opened up his mouth, I knew who he was. He smelled like he probably had drank a gallon of whiskey, just, you know, just reeking off of him. And I was paralyzed. I couldn't say anything. And he ended up saying, Val, how you doing? How you been? And all of that. And I kind of looked at him like, I know you're not talking to me. And I was getting ready to leave, and the Lord said, stand still. So I stayed in line, got my food, went home. But it was just ironic that that morning I had just talked to her about it, and then I ran into him that night. But I began to pray for him. I began to plead the blood over him because I could just imagine if he did that to me, how many others he had did that to. And as a result of that, he had this addiction. You know, and I was looking at my life and I was looking at of all the struggles that God had brought me through in spite of. And, you know, I did go through a period where I drank and did some things, but I never had an addiction. I tried so bad when I was about 19 years old to get high in Chicago, hanging out with my family. God wouldn't even let me get high. So when I was, one of the presidents was talking about he didn't inhale and didn't get high, I was laughing and telling somebody, I said, you know, I, I, I understand that because it happened to me too, you know. So, But just as a leader, Uh, God began to really pour into me, and he began to anoint me, and he began to give me the gift of prophecy. And it's like I don't just prophesy, I flow in prophecy. And Mm -hmm. God will begin to just having me to really minister to people to really change their lives and not just having an encounter with God but have a life-changing event in their life and, and a lot of criticism. 
came about, and it just old wounds of rejection. And God began to remind me of that that coworker that that I said mentioned when I was counseling, said that I was laughing and everything. She mm-hmm. used to tell me all the time. She said, "Val, you got to get a thicker skin. Val, you got to get a thicker skin. Val, you got to get a thicker skin in this business." God began to release her voice into my spirit. Val, you got to get a thicker skin. And God began to tell me as a minister of God, as a woman of God, that he had called to the ministry that I had to get a thicker skin. And when the apostle that ordained my husband and I to the office of apostle, God had told us that we were apostles, and she called me out and just went through a lot of rejection after we became apostles and people criticizing our ministry. And our ministry was in our home when we started, and God began to tell me, I want you to study the book of First Samuel and Second Samuel and mm. First Kings and Second Kings. He said, I want you to get it in your spirit. And he began to tell me, I want you to study the book of Acts. And I began to study, and he began to tell me that you're an apostle. you got to start from the bottom. You can't get it like some of these other people get it. Because I was like, God, it had been prophesied we were going to start a church in our house. Why we got to start a church in our house? I looked for a building after building, actually found one, was ready to occupy it, and God said, no, you got to start in your house. But I was so blessed that my husband really just got on board and we began to build a ministry together and just opposition on every side. Mm -hmm. God had told me to quit my job. So, therefore, we had to depend on my husband's finances. But God said, told me later, that I had to trust him to be my source and my resource, that if I had the job, I could depend on the job. I had, we got down to the fact that we had, two, three packs of meat in my freezer, and I pulled those three packs of meat out of my freezer, and I said, okay, Jesus, what you going to do? My brother, Senior Pastor Royce Mason of Christ Church International, we were having a meeting, and he came, he called me on the phone, and he said, what do you need from the store? And I said, nothing. He said, tell me, what do you need from the store? I said, Nothing. He said, what do you need from the store? I said, give my baby, who was two at the time, some milk. And I said, give me a pack of bacon because I, um, I got some bread. I can make a bacon sandwich. And he said, okay, I'll be there shortly. When I got off the phone, I began to get sad in my spirit. I said, Lord, why didn't I tell him to bring some pork steaks? Because I got some rice, and I can make some pork steaks, and I can make that stretch. People don't understand. I We had started a church, and the struggle, you know, because God had told me to quit my job, so I would fast at times rather than eating. We'd cook a chicken and let them mm-hmm. eat it for a couple of days rather than me eat. I would just fast or maybe get some noodles. I learned how to eat Roman noodles. I had never eaten stuff like that in my life, but I learned how to eat that and stuff. But when the man of God came to my house, he had a gallon of milk, he had a pack of bacon, and he had a family pack of pork steaks. And at that moment, because all I did was think that I wanted the Pork sex, but God said He'll do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. God turned my life around that day, and it just seemed like God started blessing us financially, wow. 
to start having food and start having the things that we need, it was difficult because the others in the church, one, um, several of them had very good jobs. Christmas rolled around. They could buy their children everything. My children had to do without. And it just seemed like the last couple of years, God has just opened up the windows of heaven. He has poured out blessings that we don't have room enough to receive. And I've made it a point to, at Christmas time, to really be a blessing to the children in the ministry and, and the, you know, the adults, mm-hmm. those that have been faithful and committed because of what I had to walk through. God had to take the scales off of my eyes and he had to let me see and experience a lot of rejection from my old pastor. You know, he all he would call me was missionary. When it was yeah. my time to preach on Sunday, something always was wrong. So everybody get a rotation, but when it's my turn, so I can never preach or anything. But it was it was good that I was afflicted. Like the word of God said that I might learn thy statutes. It was those were the things because God's word said many are the afflictions of the righteous, but that he'll deliver us out of them all. So I had to go through those afflictions. I had to go through those trials, through those tribulations, through those situations because as a pastor, as a leader, as a bishop, as an apostle, as a kingdom builder, I had to learn how to treat God's people. I had to learn how to respect them, how to teach them. Absolutely, absolutely. And let's just, we're going to stay right there since you're talking about flowing in ministry because there may be some women that are listening by uh, phone or Internet that's listening to the show and it maybe feel called of God. It might be in a church where women are not recognized in certain uh, key leadership positions. You know, it might be okay for them to be Sunday school teachers, you know, or it might be okay to work with the youth, but not okay to get in the pulpit and preach. And, um, she may know that there's that um, God has that calling on her life, and the the challenge and the struggle may be for her. What do I do with this calling? You know, when I know this is what God has called me to do. Sometimes, you know, I found in ministry. Sometimes we limit ourselves. Um, uh, just to a particular one location. Not saying that you need to change churches, exactly. But God has made it possible for us to reach. The global community now, okay, she may not be able to preach in her church as of yet because God can touch the heart of that pastor and change everything around. I know uh, when I, um, back in the late 80s, when I rededicated my life to Christ, I was under um, the now Bishop Paul Morton. Uh, who at the time was in New Orleans, so at that time was Greater St. Stephen's Missionary Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And Bishop was real starchy. He's Bishop now, but at that time he was Pastor Morton, and he was, I mean, he was real starch. He um, was holding on to the Baptist, the National Baptist beliefs. You know, all the women did was Sunday school and maybe a little mission work, you know. And um, on top of that, he had a Church of God in Christ background, which made it even double starchy. You know, when it comes to women uh, doing things in ministry, and gradually uh, God began to deal with him. And by the time I accepted the call to ministry, he had come full circle. But we had to go through, you mentioned being called missionary, even at Greater St. Stephen's at that time, uh, the women went through name changes. We started off, you know, as sisters. You know, uh-huh. and then we went to missionary, uh-huh. and then we went to messenger. They uh-huh. never would put preacher on. They never would put pastor on it. That it came up with creative words, uh-huh. you know, and went and found scripture for it, you know. 
uh, we went to, we were missionaries, you know, and we evolved into being called minister. We all evolved into being called elders, you know, and all the other things, names that are now being used, even in full, uh, full gospel Baptist, which is what he's uh, over now. But I watched him evolve, and by the time I accepted the call to ministry, he had the, the evolution had occurred. And so when I went in to tell him that God was calling me to ministry, his response to me was, I've been waiting on you. Now, that was mm. a, wow. that was a true blessing. He said, I've just been waiting on you to come. Mm. You know, well, my pastor did acknowledge that he knew I was called to preach. Mm-hmm. And that made me feel good. But, you know, God brought that thing full circle. We had gotten in a building um, in 2008, and we were so excited because that was our first building. And God had um, blessed me to invite him to preach. And he came, and my um, brother, um, senior pastor Royce Mason, had prophesied to him about some situation that was going on with his leg. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this was a Baptist pastor. And he looked at my brother and he said, my God, you could not have known what was going on with my leg. So that was just so awesome that God really connected us. And I I ran across him a couple of months ago at my my pastor's church, and uh, he hugged me, he embraced me. I told him that I was writing my book, Where Was God, and that it was going to be out shortly, and he was telling me that – He was just looking forward to getting a copy, and it was just such a warm embrace. And I used to tell God, I said, Lord, I don't know what it is, but I just love him. In spite of the way that he treated me and in spite of the situation that I had to endure, because it was was a situation where um, people were scandalizing my name in the church, and it's like the ones on the praise team. I, I was never the best singer, but I was anointed. And the ones that were the good singers, they would uh, say they were sick, so I would have to be up there by myself. And then I was uh, teaching Sunday school, and most of the kids I had were minister's kids. You know what they say about Mm -hmm. kids sometimes and stuff. And it just gave me such a hard time, but I had to persevere. I had to still trust God. And even with what you were saying in the beginning, finding a venue, uh, any woman of God or man of God or anybody listening that know that they got that call for ministry, the one thing that I would encourage them, and I've had to do this to others, and it's under the guidance of the Holy Ghost, be obedient to your leadership, but God would open doors for you. When the doors open, take advantage. Uh, One lady that I used to work with, God used her to open doors for me. And at one point, she had become my enemy. She treated me terribly on the job. But one day, I had loaned her a Bible, and she had given it back, and I ran across some pictures in the Bible. And she passed by my office, and I said, you you know, you left these pictures in the Bible. She came in and started talking to me. And a month later, she said, you know, my mom, Church, I want you to connect with my mother and talk to her mom. They ended up having me to come do a revival at her uh, church, had me to come do a prayer breakfast. Just other doors started opening. And then I got blessed to go minister, you know, at another church that led mm-hmm. to another door opening. So he said that our gifts would make room for us. Right. So we have to trust God that if God has called us, if he is 
sanctified it. He set us apart. He has consecrated us for such a time as now. Our focus cannot be on man. Our focus has to be on what God called us to do. Absolutely. You, I mean, it has to, the, that definitely is the Holy Spirit. Because I was when you stopped talking, that's what I was going to say. Be obedient to your local your local ministry, your local leadership. But you have to keep your ear and spirit open to what God is saying to you about what he has called you to do, what he has assigned your life to do. And, you know, and what I've learned over the years is when um whether you're male or female, when you're pastoring a church, one of the the best things that could possibly happen as a pastor is for your gift to be for um your your anointing on your life to be big enough to house another man's gift. Mm-hmm. That means if I'm pastoring, the anointing that's on my life has to be big enough so that when Apostle Valerie comes into my ministry, that I'm not intimidated by her gift, I'm not intimidated by her ministry, but my anointing is big enough to house the gift that God has given her, the assignment that God has given her. And that's, that's a challenge. The issue, but that's yeah. the issue that I run into because other women of God in ministry I, and I just ask God, God will say, jealousy. And I say, mm-hmm. well, what do I have? He said, the anointing. I Absolutely. said, but but to build the anointing, it takes fasting. When I accepted my calling to preach, God put me on an eight-hour-a-day fast. And he did that for nine months. When that fast was up, I was conditioned to fast. God said, come off the fast. I couldn't, even to this mm-hmm. day. I struggle with it because guys say, okay, daughter, it's time to eat. And I'm like, God, you know what I'm saying? I'm just conditioned to give God that time. But through that fasting and through that praying, this old um, prophetess, she gave me some scriptures. She told me to read some scriptures in the book of Psalms, Psalms 1, Psalms 3, Psalms 5, Psalms 23, Psalms 61. Psalms 121, Psalms 120, uh, the 24th Psalms. And God added some more as I went on, Psalms 91. And I would make it a daily regimen where I would just read those every day and meditate on what God was speaking to me. And it was, and I hear them saying, using the word today, commanding my day. God didn't give it to me as commanding my day. But in essence, that's what I did. Through mm-hmm. that worshiping and that praying and reading those scriptures and letting that word just meditate in my heart. Then God began to give me other scriptures to just add. And later on, as I stated, he began to give me books of the Bible to begin to study. Because if you got a gift of prophecy, you have to learn about your gift. You have Absolutely. to learn and get a greater understanding. Okay. And then what blessed me was when I got to the book of I don't know if it's First or Second Samuel, chapter 13, where it talks about Tamar, where David's daughter, Tamar, mm-hmm. was raped by her brother, Amnon. And yeah. when I began to read that and began to just reflect on what I had been through, and then when she said at the end that it wasn't the fact that she told Amnon that the evil of sending her away was greater than the rape. And it just lets me know that as we just reflect on what we've been through, that God each day is just calling us to a brand new level of surrender. Because what we sometimes we think we're going through, uh, somebody else may be going through something even greater. Someone yeah. else may be experiencing something similar to what we're going through. 
But we're all going. We've all gone through something. Absolutely. And for those that are listening, that's Second uh, Samuel chapter thirteen, the story about Tamar. And you know, let's stay right there for a minute when we, we as we're talking to uh, women in ministry and talking about. You said something just really profound, and I teach this all the time. It's like whatever God has called you to, you got to get into the Word and study that area. It doesn't mean you dismiss any of the rest of the Word, but when you are maturing in the gift, because the Bible says every good and perfect gift, that means the gift is already mature. We have to mature in handling the gift and handling the calling. And the best way to do that, if you're called to be a prophet then or prophetess, then you have to go study those scriptures about Prophets and prophetess, and when they spoke, how they spoke of God. You know, if, uh, for example, if you, um, the late Oral Roberts, you know, people knew him from healings and miracles. Uh-huh. You know, uh, the late Kenneth Hagin, the father, uh, faith, uh, a man of faith who taught on faith. Well, they knew whether they knew what the scriptures were on faith. They knew how to teach on faith. They could teach. They could preach and teach outside of that, but they knew what their specific word was. They uh-huh. knew what their specific assignment is, and so. Even if you're called to the preaching ministry as a woman, none of us will ever preach the entire Bible. It's possible, exactly. but not more likely we're not going to do it. So you have to find out what is the specific word or area of word that God has assigned for your tongue. And you have to get into the scriptures and you have to study that. I know when I first realized that God was doing something with my life, I didn't know exactly what was going on, and God used a prophetess in the in the church under Bishop Morton, and she came to me one day and said, "You need to go on a seven day fast and seek and find out what God is trying. God is saying to you because you're not hearing Him." Wow! And she, I had never fasted before at all, and she told me she said, "This is what I want you to do. I want you to fast with just water." I was like, "What?" Mm. And uh, she said, "If." You get to the place where it's unbearable. Eat crackers, unsalted crackers. But if you can make it through it, make it through it. She said for seven days. And I want you to start in the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, and I want you to read to the end. When you get to the end, start over. Start at 60, read to the end for the next seven days. And it was in that seven I was in my apartment just by myself. And I started, I did, I said, God, I'm committed to this, I'm going to do it. Had never done it before. And it was in that seven-day period of fasting that God revealed to me who I was, what I was assigned to do, and how he was going to grow me in it. Powerful. And I can remember uh, that uh, part of that fasting period, I was to leave the apartment and I was to go sit on the river, on the bank. Uh-huh. And New Orleans had uh, the river, um, the uh, the river, and so I went on the beach, like lakefront, uh, and so I went and I sat on the grass. I had like a little blanket, had my Bible and everything. And when as I was studying, the Spirit of God said, "Look up." And when I looked up, I saw three trees, uh-huh. and it was three different trees, and all three of those trees, it was something unique about each one of them, and so. He said something to me about each one, what was really profound. One tree at the time, and this was during a time where it was warm, like it wasn't windy or anything. Uh All of a sudden, the the leaves and the branches on the tree started moving fast, like really moving, like there was a wind. But it was really no wind. It was just, they were just moving fast. like And, you know, we can't see the wind, so I'm sure it was something. But Uh it was moving fast. And God began to speak to me and said, as the branches on those trees are moving fast, that's how fast I'm going to grow you in my word. Echo Bob. 
Mm, That's how fast you will grow up in my word. And I promise you it happened just like that. Because as I was moving in ministry, there was a sister in ministry, another woman in ministry, that came to me and said, after I had spoken, and came to me and said, nobody grows that fast. And I knew then I had heard the voice of God. She came to me and said, nobody grows that fast in ministry. My God. And, And well, that's what uh, people have kind of said about our ministry. But when we had our four-year anniversary, one of the guys came to me. And, well, she was speaking, and she she said, you're saying four years. But God said for every year he's taking you and those in your ministry, 10 years. So you're looking at four, but God's saying 40. And then this old um, <laughs> pastor, eighty in her 80s, mm-hmm. co-pastor, she came to our anniversary, and she said, I keep saying soldier, and God said warrior. She said, I don't understand it because you're too young to be a warrior. And I've been sitting here arguing with God, saying they can't be soldiers because they ain't been in the ministry long enough. They haven't been through enough. And she said, but God said, warrior. And my heart bubbled up that, you know what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. she's been in ministry 30-plus years pastoring, and that she kind of started late, but that God, just used her to speak that over my life and just wow. let me know, regardless of what other people are trying to say, that I'm I'm doing what God told me to do. Absolutely. I'm going to tell you, at, at that time, when I was at Greater St. Stephen's, on Tuesday night we had prayer and deliverance service, and after Bishop would uh, preach and teach a message or one of the ministers, you could get into the lock if you needed financial Increase. There was a line for that. If you needed uh, physical healing, like there found something was wrong with your body, there was a line for that. If um, you, I forgot family or something, and then mm-hmm. in, the, in the choir stand with spiritual gifts, I go up to the choir stand for the spiritual gifts. Well, I had already during that time of fasting, I had studied the gifts and had decided I wanted the gift of wisdom. Mm. Got to the prayer stands, and uh, he's now Pastor Robert Taylor. Pastor Taylor at that time, I ended up getting him for prayer. And when he said, well, okay, well, what, what gift would you like for me to pray for? I said, the gift of wisdom. He just was startled because, you know, and, and I'm looking at him like, let's pray. And he said the reason he was startled was because nobody prayed for that gift. They either wanted the gift of tongues, they wanted the gift of laying on their hands to get the healing. Mm. Nobody comes and prays for the gift of wisdom. Mm. Well, I had already studied and, and discussed and, and, um, discovered through my studying time that you could have the other gifts, but without wisdom, you could be a loose cannon. Mm. But if you had the gift of wisdom, it's impossible to have the gift of wisdom and not speak a word of knowledge. Have the gift of wisdom and not teach with authority. Have the gift of wisdom and healing is not on your tongue. Mm. You can have the other gifts and no wisdom. But if you have wisdom, you can bank it. You're going to have one of the, one or more of other, the other, other gifts. gifts. Mm. And so, and in addition to that, our prayer was like, you know, why? Wow, I want that. 
I want to be able to govern the people according to wisdom because I, that was to me the gift of wisdom was so profound. And even today, people will say to me, uh, I had, I'm giving an example of, in ministry one time. I, we share, I shared it with you on the phone, and I shared with the listening audience. I um, one time I was in ministry um, under a pastor, and uh, I would teach a class or I would preach. And he would literally say, one time he got up in, in in a service or a Bible study one time and actually said, I don't know how she flows like that. I'm still trying to figure out how she flows like that. And uh-huh. then I preached one time, and at that time they were still having cassette tapes, and that tape sold more than any that message tape sold more than any tape that had ever sold had ever sold in that ministry. And the wow. sound guy told me, and I remember going home telling one of my closest friends, if the sound guy told me, the sound guy told the pastor. So I need to prepare myself because something's getting ready to happen. Uh. That's what I mean by a pastor's gift. His anointing, brother, has to be big enough to house another man's gift. Yes. It got to be because if not... Jealousy will get in, intimidation will get in, covetousness will get in, and you will mess up. And then God would have sent a gift into your house, and because your anointing isn't big enough to house it, you will turn on it. Well, that's what, um, it's kind of like the season that I'm in now. It's like I've had uh, ministers that don't know me to come up. Uh, Matter of fact, the lady, she's deceased now, Pastor Pearl Gary, was here in St. Louis. She died last year. She called me on the phone. I was on the radio station in 2008 and in 2009. She called me on the phone, and she said, Woman of God, I don't know you, but I just picked up your business card from the radio station. And she said, I don't know you, but God said that you're going through a financial struggle. But God said that he's about to turn that financial struggle around and for you not to look back. And she said, that I really want to get connected with you. She said, because God is just speaking such great things about you. And she, there's a pastor, there's a bishop. I mean, he is huge. He's huge, well-known all around the world. She said, God said, your ministry is going to be greater than his. And in my spirit, God has spoke that to me time and time again, but I didn't have the faith to walk in it, to believe it. Not necessarily just walk right. in it, but to believe it. Right. And in my spirit, I said, who's greater than him? That's what I was saying. And she began to um, speak over my life and began to prophesy about the um, millions that God is going to release and things. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, God, who is this woman? Because she's, she's telling me everything that you've already spoke to me. And he said, what did I tell you that in this season I was going to just start sending you confirmation after confirmation after confirmation about what I've already spoken to you over your life. And it just seemed like after she spoke that word, it's like uh, doors that were open kind of closed and stuff. And I'm like, and I started thinking about it recently. I said, God, you've had people to come speak all these profound words over my life. And it just seemed like doors that should be open have not opened. And after I wrote my book, it, it took off pretty well, and then it just seemed like um, I had to get it republished to a, a larger publisher so that they can get it on the online bookstores. Mm-hmm. And and it just and then God said, "I got you at a standstill." And then He told us to release the ministry to the pastors, and He He told us He wanted us to uh, just be still and know that He's God. And I had been traveling and doing book signings and 
was had some things on my to-do list, places to call, and mm-hmm. God kept saying, no, I, I just want you to be still. And, and God told me, uh, true story, he's had me in his last, for the last six months, he said, you don't know enough about my people. He had me, I want you to uh, watch Real Housewives of Atlanta. I want you to watch Real Housewives wow. of Beverly Hills. I want you to... Um, I had to uh, T.I. and Tiny, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. Uh, the family right. hustle. I want right. you to watch that. Just all kind of things he's had me to watch that I didn't particularly watch right. because my daughter would watch some things. She's a teenager, and my husband would watch some stuff with her, and mm-hmm. I, I don't watch that stuff. And God, God began to tell me, he said, how can you minister to them and you don't know them? Absolutely. So he's began to just in this season broaden my horizon. He said, "You have a international ministry. You have to minister to the masses, a global ministry. Mm-hmm. So I need you to dig deeper." And I was thinking, "Dig deep meant dig deeper in the word." God was saying, "You know the word. I want you yes. to understand the world around you. Yes. Why they? Yes. Why people act the way they do?" And he said, and if I'm going to walk you into the wealthy place, you need to understand about money. You need Mm -hmm. to understand how not to live from paycheck to paycheck, how to hold on to money, how to handle money, how to be sensitive to the spirit. Because there were times I wanted to sow into certain ministries. And God said, did I ask you to do that? I had to learn how to sow where God wanted me to sow. Yes. We bought clothing for people. We bought people that belong to big ministries, huge ministries. And when we were, uh, our church was in our home, they would call us with a need. And then afterwards, my flesh would kind of say, well, God, we didn't spend $300 buying them food and doing this for their house, and they belong to that big old church, and seemed like they pastor with all that money they got, couldn't they? And, and God said, but I asked you to do it. I told you to do it. So we just got to be found doing yeah. what God told us to do and not being so concerned about what other people are not doing. And, you know, and it's interesting that God told you that he that, – that, um, he that you needed to know his people, especially with your counseling background, you know. And I tell people all the time, especially in ministry, and I find it, I have found it that found that um, it is really hard to get people in Christian leadership to understand that you must learn about human behavior. Mm-hmm. You cannot guess at why a person does what they do. You can't guess at why they think the way they think. You have to learn human behavior. And it it may come through the assignment that assignment like yours or similar to yours, like watching certain things. I I remember um Evangelist Mike Murdoch in Fort Worth, Texas said years ago that the way he did it, God used him to to learn more was he would subscribe to magazines, not the the, the regular magazines, y'all. But he was subscribed to like Glamour, Cosmopolitan, uh-huh. uh, GQ, uh-huh. Men's. He was subscribed. He had like a whole list of magazines that he subscribed to. And the reason why he did that was because he said, if you want to know what they're thinking, what they're doing, why they're doing it, what they believe in, these are the people that you're going to witness to. you got to know something about them. 
These are the magazines that they're reading. The, you know, most of the women who read Cosmopolitan, it's going to be something about relationships that they're dealing with. Yes. And they go on the Cosmopolitan magazine trying to get the answers and trying to carry out that stuff that they read in Cosmopolitan magazine. You know, and they trying to live that out. So he has subscribed to different magazines so that he could find out what it is that was getting people's attention and what areas that they were concerned about because that's why they were buying those magazines. You and he's know. even had me um, watching shows like the Wendy Williams show and mm-hmm. different things. Absolutely, he said, all of that. He said you got to get informed and know what's going on around you. I have a friend and that. Go ahead. I was kind of wondering, I'm like, God, have I been that out of touch with reality? But mm-hmm. our ministry team is so cohesive, and we're so busy, and we, we do mm-hmm. so many things, and we're just all over the place and stuff. And God said, okay, now you've done that. I'm a brand-new season. But I got to tell you something, through God taking me through this, when I tell you that the anointing has grown, when I tell you that I've gotten so much more sensitive to the spirit, and then it's like even in, in leadership, sometimes we'll still have that little bit of that uh, judgmental spirit, a little right. self-righteousness. God is just, you know, whatever tried to creep up, he, you know, threw it. He's just given me just such a love for his people, such a compassion for his people. Absolutely. You know, I tell people, you know, um, who do counseling in the church, biblical counseling, spiritual counseling, uh, maybe they do a biblical life coaching, whatever in the church, I tell you, you got to learn it. You have to know about people. You know, uh, I like to watch Dr. Phil's show, you know, because that stuff is real. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes um, uh, some family members or people I know might be watching Maury's show. Well, I wouldn't watch Maury's show, but guess what? It's real. People right. live like that. People do exactly. that stuff. Whether it's scripted or not, they do that. That's real. So what do you do when you get in one of them situations? Because you've got to tell somebody more than just pray. You're going to have to have a right now answer on your tongue. When you run into one of them chaotic, psychotic situations, that whole family unit is all messed up. Folks, mm-hmm. Sisters with uh, sisters, boyfriends and boy, uh, brothers with brothers, girlfriends. That mm-hmm. stuff you think is just scripted is real. That stuff is going on. It might not be in your neighborhood, but it's in somebody's right. neighborhood. You exactly. know, it's in somebody's family. You know, you can watch um, shows like Doctor Phil. It's a little different than Maury, but it's still an issue. Right. You know, because he's done sexual abuse. You know, he's done situations where daughters have been on there with with mothers who ignored it and wouldn't help their daughters and still was in denial. And you know. Fathers was brought on, you know. I mean, it's real. So if you want to know if if the area, if you, if God's going to use you to really touch lives, and we all assigned to touching lives, you have to learn something about human behavior. You got to understand, like you said, what's going on in the world around you. We have to become wise about that. And so, um, if you are in ministry or called to ministry, keep that in mind. You know, um, let's talk a little bit before we talk about your book about what is some of, if, if a woman is called to ministry and she's being faithful to the local ministry, and um, but she's looking for uh, some ways for the gift to actually be um, shared and used. You know, uh, say maybe she's not doing anything but teaching uh, Sunday school. Uh, let's give let's give them some ideas that they can do uh, well, with. To me, I would um, kind of look within mm-hmm. because God showed me some more things um, with the fasting, the prayer, consecration, studying the Word of God, learning to be still. Um, 
getting to a point of forgiveness, um, really seeking God and repentance, teaching others what you've learned, and being where God said for you to be, going where he said for you to go. And like I said, the connection with the lady that um, just God had me to reach out to her because he told me, give her those pictures. And I'm like looking like, okay. But just knowing that if God put a gift in you, God is going to birth that gift out of you. And your gift is going to make room for you. Just um, going to, sometimes when we're in a local church, we don't want to go support nobody else's church. We don't want to go to nobody's breakfast. We don't want to go to, uh, in St. Louis, we have like the St. Louis American. And it may have a Christian section and they may have different events. And then we also have a Sparkman magazine. So find out what's going on in other churches. And then on Facebook, it's just such a tool. Find they You get invitations every day, but you don't want to go and support nobody. Go and support some other ministries. Go up to the leaders. Go up to uh, the other evangelists in the ministry. Let them know who you are. Let them know what your gift is. Support yeah. them. And along the way, someone sees. You know, ten dollars. That's on. You know what I'm saying. I just want to be a blessing to your ministry, sowing seeds along the way, and staying prepared. Uh, getting your notebook, having five messages already ready to preach. You may not have a place to go preach those messages yet, but you sat down and you really dug in and you studied the Word of God to show yourself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You have done the work, and you have put yourself in a situation where you're prepared to be blessed. And God tells me all the time, he said, he said, Chief Apostle Valerie Isaiah, my people want the blessings, but are they ready to be blessed? And he told me that for year after year after year, and I didn't understand. And then God began to move uh, financially in some situations in my life and and God um some of the people around me and stuff so I seeing God blessing and stuff and then some things may have been happening for some and some may not have been happening for others around me but God said can you stand to be blessed so prepare yourself in everything that you you do with our ministry we we understand that plight so we have certain services where all of the ministers go forth with messages. And it's been time on Sunday mornings. They know to have a message ready because God may say, I want every minister to come up here with a 12-minute message. And in that 12-minute message, we teach them they got to have an opening, a middle, a close. They, you know, got to reverence, get reverence God, give honor, all of that. And be finished within the 12 minutes because I might flag some and let them know their time is up. So looking at the clock, and it's just it takes preparation because what I found, because God has spoken that you do have a gift. Sometimes you think your gift is more than what it is, but the gift has to be cultivated. So you still have to get prepared. Keep preparing yourself. Keep preparing yourself. I Even with um, all the people keep telling me I got all these titles, I said I don't have titles. I have an anointing. Sometimes I have to minister as a prophetess. Sometimes I have to minister as an overseer, as a bishop. Sometimes I have to go in as an apostle and set order. You have to really, truly understand who you are in Christ Jesus, what God has called you to, and studying those areas in the scripture and 
being prepared to go forth. Because how many people, you'll tell them, okay, well, I want to give you an opportunity to preach, and then they say they're not ready. Right, right. But it's something is so interesting that you, say, that you say that you guys do in your church, and that is, you know, um, tell them that a lot of times in ministry, especially in women in ministry, but I'm even seeing it more now with women and men in ministry, that the pastor isn't willing to train. That's what I mean by his anointing got to be big enough. You know, we, you know, sometimes they're told, you know, oh, God's going to give it to you. But you have to teach people how to uh, rightly divide the word. You have to teach them how to hear from God and how to know what God wants to say at that moment. And then, as you say, showing them how to structure that message that they're going to bring to the people on that day. That doesn't box God in or doesn't say that the Holy Spirit is not moving. But we have to do things decent and in order because when you don't train them, they go off like loose cannons. And you do have to pull coattails and flag folks and point to timers and all that. I remember when I was under Bishop Moore, and that was one of the uh, things he taught us um, at that time. And we were learning that before he became full gospel Baptist. And he would teach us that whenever you are asked to speak here or minister here or whether you're invited out to someone else's uh, church to minister, respect the time period that they give you. Uh-huh. So if you know ahead of time you have 30 minutes to speak, you don't go in there with a 75-minute message. Exactly. You go with a 30-minute message, and you got you to gotta get that thing down to what the, with everything included that you're supposed to do. You don't go in there and say, well, God is leading me to keep going. You know, we have to learn in ministry how to um, uh, guard our gift and how to prepare ourselves to do everything decent and in order. That's what happened, um, what opened another door for me. I went to um lady, the one on my coworker, her mother wanted me to come minister, and it led to me ministering somewhere else. But they had um, opened in the seven seals, and I had the third seal, and they gave us ten minutes. People showed up late. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of them were pastors that was, and they showed up late, and they wanted the seals to go forth in order. So I had to go before some people because other people went there, and when they got there, they still went forward. I, that's not how I operate. You show up late, and we done missed that part. We've gone on. Somebody else done did that. Yeah. And then the one that showed up late, she spoke. You gave everybody 10 minutes. She spoke for, I know, about an hour and a half. And nobody, yes, nobody shut her down, no you know, it just, and you're right, decent and in order. You know, I remember, because I, I remember when when I was under Bishop Morton, people would actually do that. He First, he'll slip you a note, real indiscreetly, would slip uh-huh. you a note to the podium. If you ignored that note, oh, yeah, he stopped it. He shut it down. No, uh-huh. no, no. You're over your time. Amen, everybody. And guess what? I, I didn't want to experience that, and I took that into the ministry that God has has uh, assigned me to. And so, if I do something and somebody is invited, I tell them up front, "Don't try to pull a fast one on me." You know, you get an hour to teach this workshop. I want you to be one hour. That means you need to structure your teaching where everything is included, all the way down to the last few minutes where you talk about your book or you talk about your website or you talk about you know whatever it is. You know, I need you to obey and respect what I'm saying because it throws everything off when you're late 
when somebody has to go before you, especially if it's a a, um, a systematic event, you know, something right. like you say, in order. So if you're listening, one of the greatest things I've learned as a woman in ministry is to be a woman of excellence. Uh-huh. You want that comment to come when people are talking about you when you're not even around. You want them to say, oh, oh yes, definitely you could trust her. You know, she's a woman of excellence. She flows in the things of God. You want them to be able to speak that about your life and about your ministry, when they they experience the ministry that God has entrusted to you. You don't want them to say, okay, well, put her at the end because sister going to be at least 20 minutes late. You don't want to hear, you don't want them having a discussion about including you on their program. And then they have to put you at the bottom because they already know from experience that you're going to be 20 minutes or 30 minutes late showing up. Right. You know, so I want to encourage you, um, if you're in ministry, be a woman of excellence in ministry. You, and, and it takes, it really just takes a willingness to obey God. And it takes a, a willingness to get everything in order, everything. And so even down to introducing yourself uh, to someone, like we're going, like Apostle was talking about going to different events and introducing yourself, you know, do it decently and in order, but do it in a spirit of excellence. Order you some nice business cards, or we can say ministry if you want to. If you don't want to say mm-hmm. business, we know what mm-hmm. you know what I mean when I say business cards. Or now you can not even got postcard things that people are using because you yeah. can put more on it. So get something really nice with your picture on it, so they can remember who they met. Put on there your name, your contact information, the areas that you that you have ministered in, the areas that you're gifted in, what you're called to do. You don't want them guessing. You know, because sometimes when you're at events, you meet a lot of people. So right. be above be above normal. Do something different. Have something that they you could put in their hands. Or I would I have a uh, ministry portfolio, and I carry it with me. And when I'm led to give the whole portfolio to mm-hmm. somebody, I do it. On one side of the portfolio is my bio. On the other side is um. Sheets I have in there on what my ministry assignment is, the area of uh, ministry experience I have, the published works. There's a sheet talking about the writings that have been published. Um, There's another sheet that uh, describes the study manuals that I have written, you know, uh, and there's a sheet in there that gives them uh, information on where the website is. Be creative, Mm -hmm. you know, be confident, you know, don't be um, overbearing. Just be polite, and sometimes, guess what? You may have to say, "Hey, it was really nice meeting you. Um, can I please leave you with a, uh, with one of my ministry portfolios?" Sometimes we miss out because we just don't ask. Can I give right. you this ministry card? Can I give you a, a, a card with my information on it? And if you're having an event and you and I uh, am a uh, the Lord leads you to uh, find uh, where I can fit in into your event, you'll be surprised the calls that you get back saying, hey, I met you at such and such, and you asked me for an opportunity. You know, um, uh, here's an opportunity. Are you available? Check your schedule. Get back with me. All those things. We have to be ready for open op- for doors of opportunity when they open. Yeah. So that's why it's important to be able to recognize and hear God's voice where you don't have to say, is that God? Is that not God? What is that? Mm-hmm. What is that? Be able to recognize his voice so you can move quickly and so you don't miss. And you may miss one or two here and there, but you want to develop a discipline where you can hear his voice and that you're not missing those opportunities because God has a way of launching you even from a local place. And I taught um, my people up on our uh, covering that sitting still 
and giving starting giving God at least thirty minutes, trying to work it up to an hour, and then trying to increase it more time just sitting with God. That's how you're going to learn to hear God's voice because we're so busy. We're, we're going, yeah. we're going, we're going. God want to know, can you sit and spend some quality time with me? Because God has to be able to trust you even when you're in a big crowd of people that you can still hear his voice. That you can still hear his voice. You got it. You have to get to that place. And I remember, uh, again, uh, I got a lot of groundbreaking uh, training under Bishop Morton. When I got ready to go to ORU, it was one of the prophetesses, prophetesses that was in the house. She came up to me and said, uh, humility is the word for you. Remain humble. When you get to that university, she said, when you get to grad school, you won't say much, but when you do speak, even your professors will say, where did she come from? Wow. And I can remember after being in grad school for three years, they had a going away fellowship for me when it was time for me to come back home to Baton Rouge. And one, a couple of the professors came to the fellowship, and one of the professors, Dr. Kenneth Maton, said at that going away fellowship said, we used to be in the uh, – the instructor's lounge, talking about different students. And Ginger was one of the students that we would talk about, and we would always say that we would always say, where did she come from? Mm. And I, when the minute he said that at that fellowship, I could hear the prophet's voice. Because I had forgotten she told him that that part would happen. And when he said it, he said, where did she come from? Wow. And, and um, God has really um, gifted gifted me in ministry, and he, um, the other night, <laughs> he woke me up in the middle of the night, and he had told me that this was a season that he was really birthing me forward, and uh, for me not to look back, and um, I'm just excited. <laughs> I'm just excited Amen. about this season. We just, we just yes. opened up our um, event center, and I did my first booking yesterday, so I'm excited about that. Um, started the daycare three years ago, mm-hmm. and blessed with that, you know, being able to raise these children up in the admonition of the Lord. And yes, yes. Just a lot of good things. Absolutely. And if you are a woman called to ministry or maybe you're in ministry and um, you're uh, believing God to clarify some things for you so that you can move forward, I pray that you do that. But I pray that you stay open to how God wants to bless you. God may create different streams of income into your life and you'll still be doing ministry. You know, people criticize those things. Uh, Yes, I know. We didn't have a building yet, but what you opening up a daycare and you didn't have a building. But the daycare, those two little girls whose mother, we hired her. We didn't have a lot to pay her, but um, we hired her and it welcomed us in, her into the fold, and she left my house on Thanksgiving Day with uh, walking with the other one of the little girls and mm-hmm. when it committed a murder. They gave her um, 12 years in prison. She's done about, um, it'll be three this year. And those two little girls were, were there. They stayed right there. They stayed right there. And Pastor Royce Mason, Pastor Toya Mason, raised those two little girls. They provide for them. I try to do my part when I can, you know, to, mm-hmm. um, I love, uh, when I was a little girl, I didn't have little pretty things. So I try to make sure the little girls had a little pretty dresses and things like that. And um, God is just a good guy. He's so yes, faithful. he's a good guy. We got a few minutes left, and before um, we talk a little bit about your book and how people can um, 
connect with you and find your book. If there's anyone um, that's listening by phone and you have a question or a comment, um, all you have to do is press the number one on your uh, telephone keypad or dial pad, and uh, we'll bring you on. And the way I do that is I call out the last four digits of your telephone number. And so if you have a comment or a question, we'll take them right now. And as you make up your mind as to whether or not you want to say something, then we'll go on. And, um, Apostle, would you tell us the title of your book and tell us um, a little bit about it and where can people find your website and um, where they can purchase a copy? Okay. You want me to tell you that now? Yes, yeah. Okay, the title of my book is called Where Was God? A Journey. And it can be purchased through Arthur House. Dot com. My website is Valerie with the E V A L E R I E Isaiah I S A I A H Isaiah dot com, and my email address is VP Isaiah at Yahoo dot com. All right, all right. So we have a, a comment or a question. The last four digits um, of your number is one seven six one. We're going to bring you on. Hello, welcome to the show. Hello, this is Vanessa calling from Baton Rouge. And I mean, this was so awesome. All I can say is wow, wow, wow. And I know your anointing is is great. I feel it over the airways. I truly feel it over the airways. Thank you, Jesus. And, and I often heard this saying about we don't know how great a person is or their story, uh, um, their anointing is great because of their story and because of where they've been. And, I mean, I am just thank God that the story ended on a lighter note because I really had pains in my stomach when I, when you guys started. I literally had pains, but it ended on a high note because God is a good God. And I just say thank God for you, uh Minister Isaac, and thank God for Minister London for having this uh, this opportunity for us to hear the testimony of all God's wonderful people. So thank God for you. Thank, thank you. you. God bless you. Thank you. And that is just so awesome to hear that, you know. And I'm going to tell you, um, Apostle, everybody stayed on the line. It's a lot of people on this telephone. Uh, Yeah, it's a lot. This has been an awesome, awesome show. And we have um, someone in the chat room and um, a couple of people, several people, one, two, three, four, five, six, six people in the chat room. And, of course, there may be people who are listening by Internet. And because they didn't go in the chat room, I can't tell you exactly how many, but I am so honored uh, by the people who are actually um, listening to the show on today. Those that called in, that's listening by internet, those on the the show, there there will be a um, a link for the replay if you want to hear it again. Um, you can either come back um, to the the site uh, to the page on Blog Talk Radio Show, and you'll be able to see it on dem- hear it on demand. And we're also going to post it on uh, Facebook, the replay link on Facebook. I'm telling you, this has been awesome. This is, again, month of March where we're celebrating uh, National Women's History Month. And so I just really wanted to open up the door of opportunity for women in ministry, women entrepreneurs, um, uh, women that are uh, doing business, whether they're selling a product or a service. And we're going to do a show on um, the educated, professional African-American woman. And we're going to talk about that's the show that's coming up tomorrow night at 730 Central Time. We're going to be talking to the educated, professional black female. And we're going to be talking about how 
education has either um, advanced or hindered um, her her uh, success as an African-American woman. And so I hope a lot of women who are in ministry that you would tune in on tomorrow night because even in ministry, like I have um, two uh, theology degrees, but I also have um, – uh, just a regular degree, you know, mm-hmm. that's not uh, theology-based. And so mm-hmm. when I look back over my life, you know, I, I'm looking back over and saying, okay, which one of these are playing a real intricate part in uh, what I'm doing, even with the theology degree? How much of that do I use, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm looking at how much of that do I really use in ministry? Or, do, or does it come from the training that I got with uh, Bishop Morton, you know? Mm-hmm. Or is it coming from, uh, you know, I went to, to theology school at Oral Roberts University, but before before you can even graduate from their uh, theology school, you literally have to go and be working in a church. You have to do practicums and internships. And okay. so I'm looking at, you know, how much of that am I using or am I using the practicum, the internships, and the relationships mm-hmm. that I built in theology school? It's more of the relationship than it is the classroom. That I'm actually, you know, that I flow mm-hmm. in. It's from those established, lifelong relationships, people who I've kept in contact with who are also flowing in ministry and how we're talking back and forth about what's going on in ministry and what's working, what's not working. And you come and being a part of my event. I'm a part of your event. I'm supporting you. You know, you mentioned that about going support other people that are in ministry. Just recently here in our city, a local pastor uh, did a business building Business Builders X, uh, a Conference, mm-hmm. and um, I went just to support the men of God. Right. I already knew I knew the information, but he supported me in one of my events a few years ago, and so I did the favor. I returned the favor. Yes. And just, and I knew that I was on point, was when the man of God said out loud at his event, we have Minister Ginger London here, and she's really way more experienced than I am with doing these type of seminars and workshops. I'm just so humbled by her being here. That's when you know your presence does more than anything you say, anything you do. Just knowing that that person, my presence says to him, good job. Mm, Praise God. You did a great job, Pastor. Keep going. Keep going. You do more of these seminars. You do more of these workshops. When you do that, when you get, I'm telling you in ministry, when you can go and support somebody else, another female especially, when that sister launches her first women's conference or if she does a one-day seminar or whatever, Mm -hmm. when you can sacrifice that time and go and support that sister in what she's doing, I'm telling you, that seed will return a great harvest for you. Especially if she already admires you and if she already, you know, thinks that, wow, can you mentor me? Can you, you know, why would be great just to have, you might even be speaking on the event. Just your presence can do way more than any speaker that she ever brings on platform. Just to see you out there supporting her would give her just a sigh of relief, like this must be good. Because if the woman of God set aside some time to come support me, this must be a good thing and a God thing. And so sometimes I go just because. Just because I may not necessarily want to go, but if I know it's going to help launch you and boost your courage and your self-esteem and your confidence, I'm there. And I may tell you ahead of time, you know, hey, your event is from 5 to 9. I'm coming from 5 to 7. So when you see me slip out, I'm going to tell you ahead of time. I'm giving you two hours. But if it's an event that I can stay the whole time, I stay the whole time. But if Mm -hmm. I can't, or I might say to you, you know what, your event starts at 7. 
I can't make it there until 9. So when you see me come in at 9, I'm not just late. I just can't get to your event until 9. So don't look for me at 7. Look for me around 9. So that's a part of integrity in ministries. When you can say to somebody, you know, I'm coming or I can't make it, but I'm praying for you. Right. And so um, it has been a and just an honor, Apostle Valerie, just to have you on this show and to just be open and transparent about your testimony and what you've been through. And it's just encouraging to hear how God is just birthing some opportunities and doing some things for you and your husband in ministry and for your uh, uh, for different areas of businesses and uh, ideas that God has given you. And I pray that they all be lucrative. Uh, for you that the streams of income would do just that, bring streams of income into your life, and that you not only touch lives, but that there's a reward that comes with all of these different business uh, ventures. The Bible says he'll give us witty ideas and inventions. You know, God knows how to make us creative and make our creativity work for us and that produce a harvest, not just in being able to touch lives, but we can produce a, a monetary harvest that we can actually feed our own lives and and finance what he's told us to do. God, right, he said he'll give seed to the sower. That's right. He knows how to do that. And so um, I just pray that it, you're just successful beyond belief, beyond, like you said, your imagination or anything that you could possibly think by the power of Christ that works on the inside of you. I'm encouraged. You know, I have friends that get on me all the time, and I tell them, I say, you know, every time I talk to somebody and they're doing it, I get encouraged. You know, I'm a procrastinator. <laughs> but um, I get encouraged, and uh, and this is the year that I can no longer procrastinate. I, I must step out and do what God has called me to do. So I encourage every woman of God that's listening by phone, If you, it's time to launch out into the deep. And not just launch out into the deep, not just launch out there, it's time to let your nets down. Yes. Because it wasn't until they got yes. It's time to let your nets down, so that when you let them down in the deep waters that God told you, that when you pull them up, everything He promised you will be encompassed in that net, and what you didn't even imagine would be inside that net. Just make sure your nets are clean, and make sure you got the right spirit, and you're walking in integrity, and launch out and let those nets down. So I'm gonna. You have any last minute words, um, Apostle, before we close? I want to um, read you page thirty of where was God. I ran to my bedroom, closed the door, and cried out to God like I had never done before. I cried out for that little girl that had been sexually abused from age 4 to 11. I cried out to God for that girl that wanted to be loved. I cried out to God for the daughter that still mourned the loss of her father at the age of 20 to cancer and her mother at the age of 27 to cancer. I had so much grief over them leaving me. I cried out to God for that little girl who wanted clean and proper clothing as a child. I cried out to God for that little girl that longed for a clean towel to wash her face. I cried out for all of the abandonment that happened from birth to 11 years old. I cried out for my children who had a piece of a mother because of my brokenness. I cried out for the child who just knew too much too soon about being an adult. I cried over all of the times that I drove across the MLK Bridge just wanting to die in the Mississippi River. I cried out over the little girl that had gotten an associate's, a bachelor's, and two master's degrees because she wanted someone to know that she was somebody important. I cried over the little girl that was so hurt by all of the names that she had been called, 
by her mother. I cried over the daughter that had to live with so much shame because of the way that her family lived. I cried over the three rapes that had taken place over the last 17 years of my life. I cried out to God for the daughter that never had the love of her mother. I cried out to God for the loss of my innocence. I cried out to God for being a bad person. I knew that something was happening to me. I began to feel strength. I began to feel that I would never have to have another flashback of being abused while making love to a man again. I knew at that moment that I would never have to cry over another man rejecting me. I knew that I would never commit fornication again because fornication had eaten me up. God's word said that liars and fornicators cannot enter into the kingdom of God, and I was frightened of my fate. I knew that I would would not have to cry over whether someone was going to rape my son or my daughter. My fear was cursed at the root. The hands and shackles of paralysis were loosed off of me. I was finally free from thoughts of what my mother had said about me. She had told me over and over that I would never be anything. I was free from the curse of words that had been spoken over my life time and time again. None of those words matter to me anymore. God has shown his glory in my life. I was free from people using and abusing me because they wanted to. I was free to think with a clear mind for the first time in my life. I had admired the girls that went to private middle school with me. I knew that I was free not to keep wishing that I had been able to look like them. I was free to be me. Wow. That is just awesome, awesome. When I tell you, if you're listening uh, by radio, if you're in the uh, chat room as well, I want to encourage you, please get a copy of Apostle Valerie Isaiah's book. Don't you, I mean, if, 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 if you can hear it in her reading it, imagine when you have it in your hands, what's going to happen to you. And I just encourage you to get um, a copy of her book. And before we go, uh, um, Apostle, I just want to let you know some of the things that are being uh, said um in the, the chat room today about um, the show is that some people say that they can relate to you, they can um, identify with what you're going through because they're going through have gone through something similar, um, and some people say all they can say is wow. You know, one person says, we thank God for his grace and his mercy that keeps us through our trials and tribulations. And um, uh, one person says, as I read a story, it's relevant to my life, and I wish I could have heard how she made it over. And, of course, we know if that person goes to uh, the replay, uh, you'll be able to hear the entire uh, show um, if you go to the replay. But um, I, I encourage you to do it if you didn't catch us from the beginning. It's just an awesome, awesome show on today. And um, if you want to connect with um Apostle uh, Valerie, I'm going to put my email address in the chat room for those that are in the chat room. Um, I'm going to uh, put my uh, email address, and if you email me, I can then forward it to her, and then you can connect um, uh, like that. And, uh, again, Apostle Valerie, give them your email address again, please. It's Isaiah at yahoo.com. And, again, great woman of God, I just want to thank you. For this wonderful opportunity, I want to thank you for just heeding the voice of God and allowing me to go forth with my testimony. Okay, we got a couple of minutes. We got one more comment or question. The last four digits of your number is six eight zero eight. Hello, you're on the air. Yes, my name is Marietta Evangelist Marietta Owens of St. Louis. 
Mm-hmm. And I can thank God for Apostle Valerie Isaiah. Little did she know that when she cried out that day, she cried out for so many women, so many little yes. girls. And I was one of those girls that she cried out for. And I thank God that now I am under her ministry, and I have been taught how to cry out for other women, other girls, even my own daughter. My daughter now, through reading Bishop Valerie Isaiah's book, is now a minister in training. Wow. And I thank God because I prayed so much for my daughter to the Lord, gave me a message and told me to shut up. It wasn't a shut up because right. I don't want to hear it. It was a shut up like, you know how your child asks you for something and you're in the process of doing it, and they keep asking you. Mm-hmm. But I just thank God that he put her in my life. Amen. I was tore up from the floor up. But I thank God now that I know him. I know who I am, and I know who he is in me. Amen. And I just want to say her book has an anointing on it that I know has has, has broken yokes on five people. Amen. I don't care what the bondage is. When you read that book, it's going to break it. Amen. And I Amen. just thank God for what he has done in her life. Amen. I just thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for uh, that comment, and I want to encourage everybody. we got just a few seconds left. Apostle Valerie, thank you again, and for everyone thank who's you. listening. Again, find me on Facebook, Minister Ginger London. We're going to put the replay out there, or you can come back to the Blog Talk radio show page, and you'll be able to see the replay. So we got 10 seconds, so thank you. God bless you, and thank you. Um, I appreciate it. God bless you. God bless you, too.